Good morning. Wonderful to be able to gather together to worship our Lord and our Savior this morning. Say, love for you now to take your Bibles. We're turning towards the Psalms. Psalm 46 is where we're headed this morning. We began this series in the Psalms back in September, and we're making our way through. And what we find now is that we are being introduced to the passage of scripture that had an extraordinary impact upon Martin Luther, a a psalm that inspired him to write a mighty fortress is our God. And you're going to see why as you explore these verses together with me this morning. You're going to notice with me that this is another one that is written to the choir master. So in other words, now there will be a group of people in Israel. They're going to be pulled together. They are gifted singers. This will be a musical composition. And with this musical composition, it is penned by the sons of Korah. And this is a group of individuals who will be able to look back over their ancestry and recall a time where, in fact, their, uh, their ancestors, some of them, had been swallowed up, earthquake, sinkhole, all because of rebellion against, against God's chosen leadership at that time, Moses and Aaron. But God in his mercy allowed for others to continue forward. And now here we find the sons of Korah penning these thoughts for you and for me. You're going to notice furthermore in the superscription that it's uh, according to the Alamoth. Now the Alamoth was a high-stringed instrument. And so we got to get a sense of just where this fits in on the treble clef of life. It's a song. And now you and I are introduced to these words, beginning in verse, verse 1. God is our strength. He's our refuge, strength, very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, and then once again you will see that musical term, Selah, which means now that what the writers of this hymn, this song, want you to do is to pause, like a pause in a measure and reflect upon what's just been penned. Now, once you've done that, you pick it up again, you're into the second stanza. There is, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Now I want you to ponder what's happening in Ukraine and Russia. The nations rage. 
the kingdom's Tata. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Now the third stanza. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Now your verse for the day. Be still. And know that I am God. Is that good? I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Now it seems appropriate once again. We'll pause the start of this teaching. And quietly within our hearts, let's pray about the Ukraine-Russian conflict. And then when it seems appropriate, I'll continue in prayer leading into the teaching of God's word. Within your heart, begin to pray about this matter before God. Father, we are interceding. We're asking you to be intervening. Do something so significant, far beyond what any military strategist can imagine. Reveal your sovereign rule. You are above all rulers, above all nations. Once again, breathe truth into the heart of Mr. Zelensky. Bring and produce truth in the mindset of Mr. Putin. Should Belarus involve itself as well, speak to the hearts of the leadership there. And do something so significant that someday in the future we will look back and say this was of God. 
Now, Father, we'll bring it home and personalize it. There are those that are looking at the events of their own personal life. It's a battle. It's not a playground of life. This is a battleground through life. Pray for the one who's been battling and weary, saying, I can't believe it's now this as well. Undergird that person, strengthen that person, encourage that person. I pray, Father, for those that are tuning in online. We know it's the beginnings of spring breaks, means that there will be those traveling. Speak to their hearts no matter where they are. Father, through it all, whether we are physically present in this building, in one of these services, or engaged online, whether it be on this Sunday or in subsequent days, we're collectively one body. Draw us close to you and to each other. And use your word to speak to our hearts. Warm these hearts. Engage these minds. Shape these wills. As again, our Father, we've come here to see Jesus. Him only. Praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. He penned it. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Martin Luther. 1519. And those words were circulating in my mind when I entered into the Citadel of David, which now appears on the screen. Our tour group was now gathered around with many others in an extraordinarily large number of people in a horseshoe-shaped uh, amphitheater. It was October of 2018, special time. It was Shabbat for the, for the Jewish population coming to an end. And now on this Saturday night, as the skies darkened and the evening is encroaching, a light show began to appear on the very walls that you can see, the larger wall. And what it was, was a visual, nonverbal presentation of the history of the Jews. It began with Abraham, Sarah, Isaac. Without explanations, people watched as this visual display took people on through the Exodus experience, on into the times of David, on throughout the Older Testamental period. As I looked around and I pondered the significance of this event, what stood out to me was that the sovereign God had been their fortress. 
This was the fortress. This was the citadel of David. David was a recipient of the promise of God that his kingdom would be forever in 2 Samuel in chapter 7, verses 12 onwards to verse 16. And I'm thinking about Psalm 46. Thinking about y'all. And how we have this movable fortress, our sovereign God, who day in, day out infuses Psalm 46 truths into your life experience, no matter what it is that you're dealing with right now. So what I want to do is to develop a fortress mentality this morning with you. God's our fortress. Bulwark never failing, Luther would write. And draw out for us from this text three life situations that serve as extraordinary reminders of the fact that God reigns. Let's dig in. I want to start with you by looking carefully at verse 1 down through verse 3 and together understand that in turbulent times, and you and I live in turbulent times, focus upon God's sovereign presence. He's there with you. Even when nature is in upheaval, verses 1, 2, and 3. He's going to use the psalmist. Now, nature is an illustration of the fact that when you feel like you're losing your footing in life, God secured you. And what I want you to see here in verses, verse 1 is the threefold assurance of security and stability that God infuses you with Psalm 46 principles to handle the issues of life. See how it begins? God. And you say, but of course, Gary, God. <laughs> but notice that this is God Elohim at this point. Not God, Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D. Elohim was the universal name for God. It's what is used to describe God the creator in the Genesis 1 account. Now what we find here is that this writer is making an evangelistic statement. He is communicating universally that this God reigns, and he is our personal fortress. And so what does he do? He uses a threefold assurance after starting off with Elohim, G-O-D, God, to reemphasize this very idea. It would have stirred Luther's heart, wouldn't it? Personalize it. Be able to say, God is my refuge, number one. God is my strength, number two. God is my very present help in trouble. Don't fall in the trap of saying he was once my help. 
God is your and my very present help in trouble. What fascinates me is that the Hebrew word for trouble here carries with the idea to be restricted, to be tied up, to have a sense that the roads leading to the future of life are narrowing and narrowing and narrowing. And you're wondering, how am I going to get through? Ever been there? Larry Smith was there. Larry Smith was a missionary in Chile and never had he felt more alone. He tells us that his wife Bev was so far away, couldn't be reached. No one knew that he was facing a life or death situation. No one except God, your Elohim. He tells us that earlier that day, he had been called home from the mission school where he had been an administrator. His son, Doug, had been hurt. Could see no injuries, though Doug was obviously in pain. And when Doug's pain intensified, Larry thought, I'd better get him to the hospital, get checked out. Not overly concerned, he stopped to feel a little tired, but Doug's condition got worse and worse, so Larry sped to the emergency room. By the time he arrived, his son was nearly unconscious. The medical staff took one look, sprang into action. The examining physician said solemnly, your son has a ruptured spleen. We must operate immediately. Larry nodded, and they wheeled his son away. What gripped his heart? Larry writes, I realized then that I needed Psalm 46 to breathe principles of life into my soul. He cried out. He came into the presence of God. He claimed verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, very present help in trouble. He writes, his son survived. But Larry Smith said, I learned what it meant to take refuge in God. When you head into that hospital, when you head into that crisis, I want you to bring your portable fortress with you. A place of stability, a place of security, where you have that opportunity to be able to rely upon God when you don't know just where else to go. And let God be God. You're up to verse 2. Personalize it. Therefore, in other words, after you have found three ways to express the value of your portable fortress, 
Now you say, therefore, we will not fear. And notice that he's saying, we, we're on this thing together. We will not fear. Now, the person does not know Jesus as their Messiah. They're going to be dumbfounded by the stability and security that you possess through the days of your life. Because you've got this portable fortress, this threefold emphasis that you have incorporated from verse 1 into the life issues of verse 2. You have brought a therefore into your personal experience. You don't disconnect one from two in your every days of life. You say, okay, God, you are my refuge, my strength, my very present help as the roads from present to future seem to be getting, becoming increasingly restrictive. You are Elohim. That means then that there is something universal that's going to be addressed in this personal dilemma I now find myself in. This is not just meant for me and me alone. Because Elohim has to do with the fact that he's reigning over the universe at this point. Think universal no matter how local your dilemma is at this moment. Okay, therefore, not going to be afraid, we're not going to fear. What I want you to now see is that there are four those that emerge in verses 2 and 3. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. This is nature, and it's in a sense of upheaval. There seems to be some extraordinary seismic activity being described here in these verses. I began to do a study, and moving from Older Testament to Neuter Testament with my, my Hebrew and Greek on one side and my science books on the other side, I was trying to get a sense of seismic activities and how this is being described poetically and how it might also uh, project ahead prophetically. This would have been of high significance, you see, to the sons of Korah. You, you read about them in the superscription. After all, the earth swallowed up some of their ancestors, an extraordinary sinkhole effect in Numbers chapter 16 when they rebelled against God. But begin to work with me through the scriptures and ponder with me the various seismic activities described. How, for example, in Exodus chapter 19, verse 18, Moses on Mount Sinai, in that extraordinary moment when God was delivering his law to Moses, nature spoke, seismic activity occurred, earthquake at hand. 
Make your way into the Newer Testament and think about Jesus' crucifixion. You're in Matthew 27. And right at that point when the veil is being torn top to bottom, earth is making a seismic statement with regard to the significance of this event. Not to be outdone, three days later, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 2, as the stone is to be rolled away, what we have found once again is that there was seismic activity, another earthquake, and it's as if the nature was bookending the death-resurrection experience of Jesus Christ. Armageddon. Revelation 16. They assembled at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. A loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is is done. Right off to the side from that verse, it is finished, tied to the cross of Christ. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on earth. So great was that earthquake. Sitting with the elders and select deacons who chose to attend Monday night. You have outstanding elders and deacons, by the way. Outstanding chairman. This congregation is blessed. Pastors involved. Walking them through Matthew 24, I knew it was coming this Sunday, but nonetheless, in Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, when the disciples are asking Jesus, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end? End of the age. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you'll hear of wars, which we are, rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. But these are but the beginning of the birth pains. You're looking for a place of stability, maybe a fortress? Check out what appears on the screen. It's Masada. 
And some of us have been there. Notice the various aerial views. You can walk right around the perimeter high above. You're overwhelmed by, by the way in which stands out, stands up. It was in the 70 AD range. You know, the Israel Armored Corps swear their oath of allegiance on that old fortress of Masada. Why? Because in that 70 AD range, some 960 Jews held out against the Roman forces, their army. And after seven months of siege, the Romans breached the fortress. But all the Jews had passed away. To this very day in Israel, Masada stands as a symbol of courage. And you know, Israeli troops, even this very day, stand on its summit, swear their oath of allegiance, quote, Masada shall not fall again, unquote. We want security. We want stability. We want a fortress to work with us, not against us in life. It's time for a Selah. And you found it at the end of verse 3. Because you're about ready now to enter into the second stanza of the turmoils of life. It's found in verses 4 down to verse 7. Because if the first life situation dealt with even when nature is in upheaval, the second life situation involves even when Jerusalem is being threatened. 4 through 7. And in verse 4, you and I are told that there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And you say, okay, for those that have been in Jerusalem, never spotted that stream. So how do you explain this in light of what's being described at this, at this very point? You have to understand that what the Battle of Armageddon is all about is how it takes the poetic and the prophetic, weds them together, and Zechariah chapter 14, verse 8, one of the great chapters on the, that final battle, on that day living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem. In other words, there's been some seismic activity that is now created. See how all this fits together? Half of them to the eastern sea, half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter, and the Lord will be king over all the earth, universal. And on that day, the Lord will be one, and his name, one. So now you look very carefully at 
all the threats that Israel has experienced in general. And furthermore, you begin to ponder the significance of all that has taken place in Israel pertaining to Jerusalem. And now you get a better and better and better sense of the way in which God is at work. I remember, you know, the Wailing Wall. Well, the Jerusalem Post Office tells us that it has received and continues to receive letters year after year, week after week. Quote, God, care of the Wailing Wall, unquote. And now, what we find here at this point is that God is saying, I'm there. You're up to verse 5. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns, such as in the Sixth Day of War of 1967. In fact, you can still see some of the shelling, some of the holes in the walls of Jerusalem around the Armenian quarter. And that was the time in which nations such as Jordan, Egypt, and others, being resourced by, by the Russians, found that they were being conquered in just six days' time. And Israel was able to secure the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, and thoroughly the Golan Heights. and over a billion dollars worth of ammunition and artillery, tanks, and so forth in a six-day period. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. If verses one through three talk about God's protection. Verses 4 through 7 talk about God's presence. The Lord of hosts is with us. But notice now it's capital L O R D, no longer G O D. Why? What we find is that what God is saying by utilizing that term to describe him, Yahweh is that he is the keeper of the promises. He has made his covenant with Abraham and Isaac, Jacob and onwards. He is the promise keeper of life. And so now then, you ponder the fact we have moved from Elohim God to Yahweh Lord. He is the Lord of hosts, and that was a military term to describe an army that is around the sovereign general of life, God, Lord, the Lord of hosts, his army is with us. You move from God's protection of one through three to God's presence in four through seven. And then he adds, for the sake of emphasizing his promise to his people, the God of Jacob is our what? Our fortress. Take a deep breath. He wants you to say la once again, you see. 
It's the pause in the measure of life. Someday we do a reformation tour, make our way to Wittenberg, and then get to the point of standing at the tombstone of the tomb of Martin Luther. On the base of Luther's tomb is inscribed, a mighty fortress is our God. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now the Selah. Happened out of, after verse 3. Happens out of verse 7. But now, out of verses 8 through 11. In turbulent times, you focus upon God's sovereign presence. Even when nature is in upheaval, Threefold emphasis upon the fortress, your refuge, your strength, your very present help and trouble. Number two, even when Jerusalem is being threatened, she shall not be moved. In verse five, Hebrew word carries the idea to totter, to shake. Keep your footing. Thirdly now, even when war seems to be inevitable, 8 through 11, and we're positioning ourselves geographically in the turmoil of Eastern Europe, as we're now thinking through these words, come. In other words, now, we're being given an invitation. God's giving it to you and giving it to me. I want you to come. Involves movement. Come. And now, behold. Insight, eyesight, foresight, hindsight, all wrapped together. The works of the Lord. And notice it's the covenantal Yahweh name here, capital L-O-R-D. So now personalize it. And you look back over your own experiences because life is not produced on the playground. It's, on, it's in the battlefield of life that we work these things out. Behold the works of the Lord. That's what you and I are called to do no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing. You know, at the end of the Civil War, when the news of Appomattox came, the Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton, had these words displayed on the dome of the Capitol. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Now, follow the He's. How He has brought desolations on the earth. Is He speaking not only poetically but also prophetically? He makes wars cease. 
to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. He takes the hypersonic weaponry that we've just read about in the past 48 hours, makes such obsolete. And now, memorize it. Personalize it. It's your verse 10. Be still. And know that I am God. In the upheavals of life, it's hard to be still. You're so active. The adrenaline is moving. You're having to make decisions. What I want to say is you need be still times and you need be still places. Find a place in the house, in the woods, be still. Find a place in that hospital, be still. But don't stop there. You personalize it, you memorize it, and know that I am God. God is sovereign. Once you have breathed that into your soul, notice that he has used these thoughts right after G-O-D, Elohim, the universal name for God, to then say, I will be exalted among the nations. It's not an accident. I will be exalted in the earth. But once he has used this universal statement, to tie together the be still and know that I am God. He is back then to capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. The Lord of hosts is with us. And you say, Gary, I, didn't we just cover that? Yeah, you did in verse 7. But repetition is God's means of getting our attention. So get in verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. Now he goes back to the universal. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And now what we're offering is a portable fortress. Bring all this together for your life experience. You got to leave here this morning with another Selah. You got to pause and think about these things. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. And you think about that when you join me in heading to one last site in Israel to explore together 
There's Megiddo. It's an aerial view. We do a walking tour. Not only do we walk the surface, but for those that want to go down some steep steps, we go down below Megiddo and walk and take into account what will be happening at surface level in the future. This is the place for the Battle of Armageddon. And through it all, what we were able to say, God is sovereign. This is not a playground. This is a battleground. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. God's got this. Let's stand together. Now breathe courage into the heart of the individual this morning who feels like this is overwhelming. This is, this is too much. I didn't see this one. When it feels like the roads are becoming increasingly restricted and moving from the today to the tomorrow, show them that you are the one who widens the roads of life. For the one present in one of these services who are watching online, whether it be today, Sunday, or in the days and weeks to come, I pray now that they understand that this portable refuge comes with it the idea they've put faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I pray if they have not done so already, they will now do so and experience eternal life in you. And for all who know you as Lord and Savior, we've now got our fortress in place. Mighty fortress is our good. This bulwark just simply does not fail. And for this, we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.